Podcasting from the Star Group, home of the iconic Dressable Lions. This is Beyond the Known, the podcast that takes you a step beyond what you know about business. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, president of the Star Group. On today's episode of the Beyond the Known podcast, our guest is Terry Rowinski, president and CEO of Health Payment Systems. Terry focuses on providing consistent, relatable leadership that engages, inspires, and encourages growth within all levels of his organization. We're in for a real treat because right here is Terry Rowinski. How are you, sir? I'm awesome. How are you doing, sir? Very good. Nice to see you here. Thanks for joining us. So let's just start a little bit about Terry Rowinski. So Terry, the health payment systems organization, so you've been leading that for some time now. Can you just talk a little bit about what your role is like within the HPS organization? Yeah, I literally have the best role ever. So in HPS, I'm privileged to essentially be the organizational leader. So at times I get to be top cheerleader, times I get to fix the toilets, at times I get to be a shoulder to cry on. Hopefully I never make people cry itself, but ultimately, you know, I'm the individual that's charged with helping to set strategy for the organization and then help all of our folks help me achieve it in terms of what we do day in and day out. Okay, I'm just trying to keep track of all the hats that you wear on that head there, Mr. Rowinski. Can you give us a little bit of background about how you ended up leading the HPS organization? Yeah, it was a really unusual route to get there. I had come out of an internet specialty retail company about five, five and a half years ago, who actually was a customer of health payment systems. And through that, I was able to get to know some of the leadership team, a few of the board members, and more importantly, a few of the folks that were on the inside of the organization actually making it happen. And I gained a really deep and true appreciation for almost the causal-based mentality of the company, not just being there to make a profit, but being there to actually help people. And uh, as I had a chance to essentially either take the highest level role in the company I was at or look for a new pond to go fishing in and go swimming in, I ended up having nothing is by luck, you know, a, a conversation that led to a conversation that led to a conversation to reintroduce me back to some of the people at HPS that happened to be looking for someone that had my background and skills and desire to just have your intellectual quotient blown on a daily basis. And I was privileged to join about five, five and a half years ago and never joined with the intent of becoming the organizational leader. It was just by the route of how changes happen within the organization, some inspiration by God, to be pretty frank. And then also, frankly, being at the right place at the right time a little bit as well also happened. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting how that happens, how that chance conversation, that chance encounter, that unique situation that presents itself, how it ends up opening doors that you never thought would have been opened. And I agree with you. Glory to God for bringing you to this time and place. And HPS is truly blessed, Terry, to benefit from your influence and your leadership. Can you tell us a little bit more about what HPS does and how you bring value to these various stakeholders that you have? Yeah. So for being a small company, we have an incredibly complex business model. So we all know that healthcare while not necessarily broken, was never really set up to evolve and function the way that it really should for people. And our focus is really on helping to reduce the cost of healthcare in its administration and in hopes that all the participants will ultimately come together to try and do the right thing for the consumer after the point of treatment. We're there to really help simplify the mess of healthcare billing and payments for the consumer. And in doing that, trying to help the provider 
help the employer that's offering benefit plans to their employees and ultimately help the employees and their families just understand the mess and reduce the stress of figuring out who they owe money to and why and just giving them the right avenues and the advocacy to help them when they have that wonderment moment of what the heck is this that I've just got myself into. Is there a lot of, so I guess this is a two-part question. One, is there a lot of competition in your space? And two, if there is, what is the HPS differentiator? What makes your organization so unique and what can a potential vendor or partner get with HPS that they can't get with these other organizations that are out there? Yeah, that's a great question. So here in Wisconsin, where we were born, bred, and, and raised, and have all of our revenue today, we run a provider network for healthcare services for our community. And those services and that network is sold via the employee benefit consultant community to the employer groups. So in that, you know, we are essentially kind of the lead duck. There is nobody that does exactly what we do, which is part of the greatness of the company. But it's also part of that challenge of the company. When you're the lead duck and you're breaking wind all the time as you're flying high, you're essentially trying to create legitimacy in what you're doing as a business cause so that others follow and create a bigger movement. And that's really where we're at right now today is that there are pockets in the U.S. where there are imitators to what we do, imitation companies, almost just repeatable, rinse and repeat of what we're doing, but not here in the state of Wisconsin. In the state of Wisconsin, the employers and the consumers are just really challenged to have services like what we have available to them. So our goal is basically to continue to just press forward as hard as we can and continue to prove value day in and day out to all the constituents that really participate within the healthcare ecosystem. I'm fascinated by leadership because I think a good leader can make an organization, a bad leader conversely can break an organization and coming across a very solid, well-respected leader, regrettably, is not always the norm. Yet you've had success everywhere you've went. People enjoy working for you based on your leadership style. So to start this series of questioning, I suppose, in your humble opinion, Terry, what are a couple of the hallmarks of a truly great, effective leader? I'll start really with a story. One thing that I learned I midway through my career, and I wish it were earlier, was to allow my folks to do their job. <laughs> I am one of those individuals who uh, unfortunately has this innate desire to help teach and help grow individuals. But in doing such, I exert too much control, and I had exerted too much control, that literally in a cube at my old company, I walked by one day and I saw a WWTD. I was like, well, that's kind of odd. Usually I see a WWJD in terms of what's going on. And I asked the young individual, I said, so what's with the WWTD? And she goes, well, that's what would Terry do? And it was at that exact moment. And she made such an impression upon the rest of my career. Exact moment I said, okay, I'm overdoing it. I'm not allowing my people to actually learn the way that they need to learn to experience life while working and to essentially get the bumps and the bruises, but also the victories and the rally cry in terms of what happens as you see the outcomes of positive things that happen within your career. I was really holding the organization back. And that's really where I've now come over the past 10 years in my career is more of a of an enablement bumper management in terms of what's happening. One of the founders I worked with loved the adage, you know, inspect what you expect in terms of what's going on versus the WWTD, because that was just doing a disservice to the folks that were around me in that I wasn't allowing them to blossom as quick as they could have in their career. And that's what's most important to me is helping people advance. So if there was a leader out there that said, you know what? 
I think I delegate well. You know what? I think I empower my team, but I'm not sure. How do they know? Is there some advice you could give a leader out there to, to help them figure out whether they're still being too hands-on or whether they're delegating tasks to the degree that they should be? I think an interesting one is you know, the adage of absence makes the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the company grow. I think as you are able to do new things in your career, so so Paul, as you have all these other great adventures that you're on that, that you've been blessed to have put in your path, as you watch what happens back at the Star Group when you're focused on X initiative or on X initiative while you're at the Star Group, seeing things actually taking place and watching things advance, maybe not always to the level that you think they should because it's not you personally doing it, but just watching it happen and then hearing the stories of where people have had struggles, maybe failures if you ever really want to call it that, but most certainly out of that, the learning. Once you get that type of feedback mechanism going, that I think is letting you know that you've truly empowered and enabled your team to just do what they're here to do. Now, not everybody can be the largest born natural leader out of an organization, just like not every lion is king of the pack in terms of what ends up happening. But you know, we're here to just make future leaders and just invest in people and make their lives what they can be. Amen to that. As we were having this conversation about getting you ready for the podcast, one of the things that jumped out on your intake form was basically when we asked, you know, tell us a little bit about you and your background. You would write, you had written, through creating disciples of future leaders, we will better engage and enhance our community to achieve higher heights for all. That's pretty profound. That's very impactful. That's a wonderful philosophy. Can you explain that a little bit? I'm a huge believer in education. I'm a huge you know, believer in education of all sorts at all levels in terms of what's going on. So from the time that the little littles you know, are, are starting in their school career to the time that you know, my youngest, who's 20, is finishing you know, his career out at Madison and then into his career, I mean, that is so important to create the deep foundational being of a person and to help them be able to process what's right and wrong, not necessarily what is right and wrong, because there are always decisions to be made and the context of our world is changing you know, by the daily basis of what's going on around us right now. And if we can't reach people in their homes and in their education, we're never going to end up having people rise to the level that they can. And our community will never be as strong as it can be. Well, you talk about education, and I think that is vitally important as well. And I think sometimes as a C-suite executive, as a leader, we can kind of fall into this trap. I'm too busy to read. I'm too busy to do this. I'm looking out for all these other people as opposed to worrying about my own professional development. So from your specific experience, Terry, what does professional development look like for you? Sure. I'm an early riser, and you and I have probably traded emails very early in the morning on an occasional basis or been on LinkedIn with each other doing things. I think I probably have a lot of your first likes you know, in the morning <laughs> as things go out. As I rise in the day, I take a moment to just reflect, and whether it be in something religious as prayer or if something as deep as a, more of a meditative type of moment, I just try and reflect and you know, thank the Lord that I'm alive and sitting or standing, whatever the case happens to be as I rise for the first time that day. And then, frankly, I get lost in something for about a half an hour to 45 minutes. Right now, the fad that I'm on is basically a bike. You know, I have a bike in my basement, and I ride that thing, and I love to get yelled at by the people that are there to motivate me each and every day. But it allows me to get lost so that when I come out of those moments, I'm actually a little bit de-stressed and a little bit more tuned in to something that's really refocusing and recentering me. And I have some of the most brilliant thoughts while I'm in the shower. 
that just are things I can't wait to get into my team's hands and start to talk about, then what I have to do is have the discipline not to just bury them with things as they're coming in for their day, but to essentially give it time so that I can get to them then and start the ball rolling in terms of what happens. And that was a learned habit and behavior as well for me, you know, in terms of what I do and how I do. So, Yeah, and you mentioned your faith. What would you say to somebody that says, hey, I'm a Christian, but I can't share that at work? Or my faith is very important to me. It's a part of who I am, but I can't say much about it to my professional family because I don't want to offend anybody or turn anybody off. What advice would you give to a C-suite executive that finds himself or herself in that position? I would call the BS card, you know, and, and I refrain from utilizing that because I get very passionate about this, that, that people find excuses to say that they can't share their faith in terms of what's going on in life. You're sharing your faith in life doesn't necessarily have to be you on a pulpit broadcasting the word of God to everybody that's in your midst. Sharing your faith can be through conscious efforts of just doing the right thing, taking people by the hand physically or you know, mentally, leading them in terms of what's going on, helping them become better humans and taking care of your fellow human. You know, there's so many biblical concepts just within those simple statements I made and so many deep philosophical, you know, just being better together. Show people how to be better together and take care of one another, and you're already well on your way without even overtly coming out and broadcasting your religious opinions upon other folks. That was a very bold declarative statement that you just made. Have you always felt that way, or did it take you a little while to get to that point in your leadership career? I think I've always felt that way, but the being bold and courageous aspect of just being totally out there and transparent with it took me 15, 20 years in my career to just mature and to a point, either A, where I had a position where by no means is anybody uncheckable in terms of what they're doing, but certainly having a position where people believe and trust in you and then be able to work those things in. And also being in a couple career moves where I was placed in environments where I was helping people that were needing to be helped, whether it would be lending advice, whether it would be bringing people that have never worked into the workforce before, whether it be unfortunately letting folks go, but with dignity and respect. So just being able to do those all with you know, Christian viewpoint and Christian ethics have really helped me be you know, that type of leader that I am and pretty much wearing it on my sleeves or if I'm not wearing sleeves, on my chest. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. Very literal and linear, Terry <laughs> Rowinski. So obviously here at the Star Group, we are a risk reduction organization. Insurance is one of our main calling cards, obviously. And part of the reason I was excited to have you on here is not only to learn from you from a leadership perspective, but you are on the front lines as it really pertains to healthcare. This is a complicated topic. It can be a frustrating topic. It can be an expensive topic for individuals and organizations. So very much looking forward to having you help us make sense of this all, and then particularly with the listeners that are tuning in today. So let's start with this, Terry. What overall, what trends are you seeing in healthcare as it pertains to employers and overall employee usage? That's a great question. And I think that that answer is evolving in present day because of everything that's just happened with COVID-19. As you've watched employers have their employees and their families you know, go through a shelter-at-home moment, you've probably seen a pretty significant pullback in terms of the actual utilization of healthcare, And that's going to make for a really interesting next 12 to 18 months as companies that are in the business of risk mitigation, risk management, 
try and bring facts back to the table to help individuals understand what their risk pool really is. You've heard things being discussed about there being a, you know, a butterfly effect or a W effect coming within healthcare, where COVID was the first wave. The second is going to be all those folks that haven't actually received the healthcare that they've needed over the past two and a half months or more because they've been in the home. They haven't been able to get access to care except through virtual care. And so we have some things to watch out for as employers and as stewards of people to ensure that we're encouraging our folks to be very proactive in going out and getting the health care that they need. But in that same vein, they need to do it on a cost-conscious way. And that's where we as an industry need to help people make better decisions and really inject consumerism to its highest high as we come out of these events that our country's in right now. And how do we help them make those better decisions for themselves and their employees? Well, there's firms like yours, you know, so the folks at the Star Group and and the tools that you bring to the table, and then there's a, a ton of closet startups that have happened literally within the months that are trying to come up with some of those answers in terms of utility tools through the web, through iPads, through other devices to help bring information to the consumer. Part of the problem is that the big major insurance companies are still driven by Wall Street in terms of what their stock prices are and things that are happening. And solution sets such as what we offer at HPS, what some of the hospital systems are trying to offer, and what other industries are trying to do to essentially break the curve of the cost, you know, I think are going to become even more important to regaining the trust of the national economy going back up. Yeah, what's kind of interesting, it's like one of those emotional buzzwords when you go up to a C-suite executive, a business owner, a CEO, and you say healthcare. You're probably going to get some kind of visceral emotional response one way or another. So let me ask you this, Terry, because you're on the front lines, because you live, sleep, eat, breathe this stuff, how optimistic or pessimistic are you about the future of healthcare in this country and why? I'm very optimistic from the perspective that I believe that the, I'm just going to call it the age of folks that are beneath me. Yeah, so the next generation down is going to demand that they be met by the healthcare community where they're at, when they're at, and how they're at in terms of what's going to happen. Um, I've been a huge, huge advocate of retailization of healthcare for a period of time, get people away from the hospitals, get them to microsurgery centers, get them to rehab, do things that aren't just cutting and bringing people in and hospitalizing them and also the utilization of technology. And as we're seeing in present day, we've all had to become more and more reliant upon technology for just living, for lack of better. So how do we continue to evolve and innovate in those ways? And I think that we're at a really critical pivot point for us to go up that direction versus reverting back to the old means. So obviously you've been in the industry for a while. You've been plugged in for a period of time. How has the industry changed since you started your career? Oh, that's a great question. When I was COO of another company and I was responsible for acquiring healthcare for a few thousand employees, I thought that there was a little bit of mess going on within healthcare, but a lot of things were shielded from me because I frankly just paid my bills and made sure that my people got back to work. When I became a participant owner and actual giver of services to healthcare and kind of got behind the curtain of what was going on, for something that I thought was going to be so buttoned up and pristine, it becomes really apparent that we're still all people practicing the very important means and medicines of healthcare, and that mistakes might be made, 
but ultimately people need guidance and leadership to be the best them. And the conventional mechanisms that have been in place since healthcare started eons and eons ago are still there a lot today. You know, the, the medical community has so many people that are in leadership roles that can do some awesome things, but they're stressed. They need help. They need liberation from the old means and practices that they have to do what's right. And it takes all of us together to participate. You can't just look at it as an employer and say, well, healthcare system, you know, you got to go fix all this. The employer has to participate. And then the employer needs to have its, you know, its families participate. It has to have everybody really be in to actually fix the mess. So there's no surprise here, I don't believe, but Paul Newberger enjoys politics. <laughs> I have three children. One is named Kennedy. Another is named Reagan. So not a surprise there that I'm a fan of politics. Let's say Paul Newberger becomes elected president at some point. Gosh, help the country if that happens. And I appoint Terry Rowinski as the nationwide health care czar to make the healthcare system even better where or at least to improve it from where it is right now. What are some of those changes you start making? What do you start implementing and why? Yeah, it's really, it's allowing for critical access points to be available to all people. I am not going to say a single payer system. I'm not an advocate of free healthcare for everybody. I'm not that one side of the aisle or another. I am pretty much a centrist in my viewpoints in terms of what I do, uh, regardless of what my kids think at times. So, but ultimately it's just like education. We need to educate people about their health, and we need to educate people about well practices. We've just seen it in this community that we live in with COVID in terms of the worst afflicted folks, even given the population density of where we're at and where people live and all those things that contribute to a person's general health and wellness. If we don't take the time as employers, as carers of others, to help educate them about their health and how to live healthy and be well, who's going to do it? We can't just have this, the hospital systems be there for people getting sick. We need them to be there to help teach people to be well and how to have healthy habits and then figure out the best way to take care of them when they do get sick and get them back out the door and onto productive lives. Yeah, very well said. And one of the group benefit producers that we have at the Star Group, his name is Dan. And one of the things that I like about Dan is he just asks very intriguing questions to the individuals he sits down with. And he'll talk about questions like, are your employee benefits meeting your goals for them? Or how are your employee benefits allowing you to fulfill your mission as an organization? And oftentimes the CEO, CFO, or whomever looks at Dan like, I, what are you talking about? I've never thought of it that way. Sure. So if you were sitting down with a C-suite executive, and we have several of them that listen to this podcast, one or two pieces of advice would you give them as it pertains to their employee benefits, their medical coverage, the things that they offer to their employees? What words of wisdom from one leader to another would you give based on your expertise in this field? Take the time to understand and take the time to actually make it better for your employees and their families. And understanding, you know, a lot of leaders don't treat this like it's a fiduciary duty of their organization to offer the best benefit plan that they can to their people. And that just befuddles me because there's so many tangential benefits out of doing that to allow the employee and those families to have better lives, which creates more stability, creates more retention creates a better work environment because people show up and are engaged and are doing things. So you need to take the time to understand that helping impact people's lives through offering healthcare and educating them about healthcare really, really helps rise the tide of your company overall. The second part is it costs a lot 
And for the number of folks that don't understand where in their top five costs where healthcare is and think that it's something other than where it really is just befuddles me. You know, I've sat with some senior executives. Oh, well, that, you know, that's probably not even in our top 10. It was number two, you know, but behind raw materials or maybe behind their actual labor costs, healthcare was in their top two to top five, and they didn't even have a clue about it. And they have to, have to do that and understand what it is. Otherwise, it's that unknown that you're you're paying money potentially for services not being rendered to help your community. Anywhere else in our business, if the janitor that cleans the office doesn't clean the office to the best of their ability, you usually fire the janitor or you at least have a strong conversation with the janitor or in my case, show them how to do their job. So, <laughs> But ultimately, it's the same thing with healthcare. If you don't understand what's going on within the healthcare in your community, in the right way, then you only have yourself to look in the mirror when things aren't as good as you expect. So what drives Terry Rowinski? I mean, life can be hard. You do not have an easy job. There's a lot of challenges in your role professionally, just like any C-suite executive. So when Terry Rowinski gets out of bed and maybe feels the weight of the world on his shoulders, wonders if he's going to be able to overcome some of these challenges, what drives you? What motivates you? Where do you find inspiration to get done what you need to get done? That ability to essentially watch my people grow, whether, you know, my people is a broad statement in this case, so maybe I am from the pulpit on this one, but whether it's within my own family and, uh, you know, now being a granddad and watching my kids be parents and watching some things being done different than I would have done, but watching some things that I did that they questioned at the time and seeing that happen is just, it's amazing. It's incredibly motivational to me because it kind of shows that 20 years ago me, I wasn't so far off <laughs> in terms of what happened. And with my team at HPS and, and within our community, being involved in schools, being involved in education, being involved in learning, actually being able to watch some of those same folks do the same for others has been incredibly rewarding and incredibly motivational to me to just want to keep doing it. And then, uh, frankly, the variety and the fact of you know, prepare to wear many hats throughout your career and your life. You know, I'm probably uh, still wearing the cowboy hat right now because I still feel like I've got a lot of energy left and, and a lot of bucking bronco to go on for whatever is placed in our path in terms of what's happening. And the last part is, you know, I have this strong innate desire to be part of the solution. You know, if there's so many problems in the world and so many people are willing to hide behind X, Y, and Z and blame LMNOP, I want to be part of the thesaurus of creating the new verbiage of how we all live together and work together in this community. Well said. I hope we recorded that one because that's bumper sticker material right there. I like that one. So you've been a successful leader, entrepreneurial. You have not led an insignificant life at all. You're touching lives. You're making the world a better place. You're leading, you're innovating, you're growing. Yet you're happily married. You've got four children. I mean, what advice do you have for these executives, these entrepreneurs who are obviously they're, they're giving a lot to their work. They're really gung-ho about it. What advice would you have for them to maintain that work-life balance? I would say for those that are a little bit more mature in their career, you're still called upon to give back and change the balance of what is work versus what's giving to your family and to your community. And look at it with those optics that it's not necessarily work. For those that are younger and, and less mature in their leadership careers, uh, whether they be you know, a leader of a company or of a school or of a nonprofit or whatever the case happens to be, you know, the boundaries have to be there. You know, I hate to say it. One of the things that I did poorly at the beginning of my career is that I worked way too many hours and traveled way too much 
and didn't have, I wish I would have had FaceTime and things like that in those days to be more connected to my kids. But with our youngest, you know, Josh, who's, who's the 20-year-old, I was blessed to actually be physically present and around a lot more than I was for the other three. And while we all have incredibly strong bonds, you know, the being present when you're present is a big, big deal uh, in terms of what happens. You know, right now, we've got our grandchild at our house, you know, a couple days a week, and I intentionally schedule some time on my schedule because we're still working from home in our company to literally come out of my office and be the hugest, smiliest grandpa I can be and the goofiest grandpa that I can be for that little guy just for a short period of time because it gives him a memory and it gives him something to remember that while grandpa was really busy when I was growing up, grandpa made time to do the things that really mattered to me as, you know, as the two and a half year old version of myself. Whether he'll remember that or not, but time will tell. Invite me back in 10 years and we'll talk about that. We'll have to do that. Rachel's <laughs> got her calendar open right now. So we'll see what we're doing in 2030. <laughs> what would you say to put you on the spot here? And I'm sure you've gotten a lot of words of wisdom in this regard. What is the greatest piece of leadership advice you were ever given? Oh, you know, it's been an interesting career growing, Paul. I've never really had anybody that I've held up on a pillar to say, this has been my mentor in terms of what's happened. In a, in a not so corny way, you know, I literally look at some of the leadership of my church and my congregation because of the growth that they've undertaken. You know, people don't necessarily realize that those are businesses as well and that leadership needs to be very prevalent and very present in those day in and day out. I mean, just imagine running a business full of sinful humans that your job is to go and help other sinful humans become less sinful. <laughs> Just the paradox of that is just the, the most dynamic and interesting. And you know that the things that continue to motivate me and drive me are just really watching people be humble in all aspects of what they've done in their career. You know, I've been able to sit in, in the, the top executive suite with the folks from Kohl's when I was there and working. And you know, when I first walked into that first meeting, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting with the COO and the CIO and the CFO and the president and the chairman. You know, and I've, I was sweating bullets. I, you know, you thought it was 110 degrees in the room. But I realized so quickly that they were just people like us that have had awesome experiences in their lives and asking them the questions of simple things. You know, how'd you get to be where you are? What, who did what you just asked? You know, who's ever led you inspirationally? You know, are you well-read or not? Do you believe in those types of things? And, and what motivates you? I mean, just utilizing those simple questions to learn from others is incredibly powerful, A, to be a receiver of that information, and B, to be someone that genuinely cares about others to ask them their opinion on things as well. And that's really how I've built myself over time. What would you say is the greatest challenge facing the leadership development industry today? Holding attention. I think it really is holding one's attention long enough to essentially have what is ever being taught to permeate the front lobe and the back lobe and actually stick and then watching it go into practice. Um, I was just on the phone with an individual literally before I came over here today that was trying to you know, basically convince me that I should do all my learning virtual. I should do nothing else in person anymore and here's why. And as I continued to challenge her and continue to press on that and, and ask you know, what was their success and what was going on, Ultimately, what ended up coming to the forefront is that they learned the secrets of let's not sit for an hour and try and teach somebody something. Let's give them bite-sized, digestible units of learning and then practical application. 
and then rinse and repeat and keep going so that you're continuing to building block somebody's knowledge base. It wasn't that they created this great virtual platform that replaces people in terms of what was going on. It's that they realized through what they do that you give people small, biteable, digestible, incremental pieces of knowledge and learning, then let them go do it and then be the bumpers. Watch what happens when they do it well and help them understand it or them better yet teach you when it went well. And then when things don't go well, let them learn from that as well and be that soft place to land to help them figure out what to do better next time. But don't do it for them. Well, with respect to our audience here at the Beyond the Known podcast, it's pretty diverse. I would say two of the bigger demographics of our population, one, current business owners and C-suite executives, which makes a lot of sense, but also entrepreneurs, individuals that are aspiring leaders, young professionals that maybe want to continue that upward trajectory of their career. Why do you think, Terry, for those individuals that are thinking, you know, maybe I want to aspire to be a leader. Maybe I want to take on this responsibility, but then again, maybe I don't. Why should they pursue leadership? You know, it's, there's so many books that basically talk about the road not taken, you know, and the regrets of later, you know, individuals who have an aspirational desire to be a leader, whether it's from inside or people that are helping to push them along, you, you need to try it. And, and leadership isn't necessarily always just being, you know, a top of a pyramid, you are a leader of other people and of other things that are going on in life. And it's the people that you surround yourself with and the teams that you build. And at times you do have to say goodbye to somebody because they don't fit the nucleus and the culture of what the company is today or what it aspires to be tomorrow. But then you have the ability to go and find other people that are out there that can fit those roles and maybe are those unpolished gems because they haven't been nurtured and really poured into. And they bring things back to you as a leader as well, which helps kind of refill your bucket in terms of what goes on. So you you have to try. You know, if somebody's thinking about it or somebody's wavering, then they really need to be either pushed over the edge to do it or they're really not committed to it. But you got to go and try. So we, we talked a little bit about HPS, but just to make sure that we've got crystal clarity on this. Again, you guys have been a great partner of ours at the Star Group. It's been wonderful to collaborate on the various initiatives that we have. You've touched the lives of our clients, and it's been a, a wonderful collaboration moving forward. The difference, the model that you guys employ at HPS is, is truly different and unlike anything else on the marketplace today. So just reiterate for our listeners once again uh, how the HPS model is so different and how your organization is able to be so competitive within this industry. Sure. Thank you. And thanks for the you know, allowing me to give a little plug for our organization. So, you know, so health payment systems, again, is really two products that are in the marketplace. One is a a high-value, broad, independent provider network in the state of Wisconsin that has a majority of the healthcare systems and especially independent providers within it. And we have direct contracts with those folks in various means by which we try and essentially acquire healthcare at a really good cost basis and have a continuum of being able to offer you know, lower-than-average industry increases, if not decreases, on a year-in-year-out basis to our employer groups that buy healthcare. And we do that by the fact that we bring the healthcare systems and the providers together with the consumer and just making that relationship more symbiotic from 
how people understand what they owe and how they pay. And literally what health payment systems does is that we get rid of the mess of all the EOBs that come out of the, the typical insurance companies and the bills that come out of the typical providers and, and healthcare systems. And we do that for the consumer by delivering a single envelope on a monthly basis that essentially helps them both understand and then helps give them options to essentially take care of their bill. And the consumer, instead of paying all the providers, pays us and we do it for them. And that simplicity, that innovation that we had thought of you know, 15 years ago now when the company was first incepted is finally really starting to hit its, its payday moment for the consumer and just making their life that much easier and less stressful. Because honestly, as somebody has a health event, whether it be a member of your family or yourself, the last thing you want to worry about is how to pay for it. You can come to us, and if you can't afford to pay the whole thing at a time, we can help you through that as well. And that's part of our special sauce. Yep, and that simplicity is definitely a wonderful value add that you offer to your partners. I mean, that's one of my favorite quotes from Steve Jobs when he said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Yeah. And kudos to you and HPS for getting to that level. One of the things that you had talked about that, that just has me immensely curious at this point is you had talked about you've looked behind the curtain with respect to healthcare. As you've gotten more mature, you've kind of realized how it works and what kind of goes on. For those business owners and listeners to this podcast that maybe have not looked beyond the curtain, that don't really know what goes on behind the curtain, if they were to peel that back slightly, what would they see? I would say we see an industry that is full of absolutely brilliant people. You know, the physicians and some of the administrators and most and all the caregivers I mean, these are people with huge hearts and, and incredibly focused desire to help the human become better. I mean, that first and foremost is something that everybody should take really, really good cues from to say, okay, the right people are within healthcare. The problem is healthcare has grown. I mean, how old is healthcare? Can anybody put an age on it? You know when the automobile was created. 74. <laughs> and its mortality is 83. Now. But, I mean, if you look at every other industry that's been around us that has essentially had a start date, you've watched evolutions of it upon itself to make itself more better and more efficient and more productive and even more cost-effective on some basis of measuring how cost is done. Healthcare has been one of those areas where it's under-optimized in terms of the things that can bring cost out of it because of how lean it runs, because of just how few practitioners there are to actually take care of people. So it goes back to that whole thing. We are as a world full of sick people because nobody's taught people how to take care of themselves and how important your health actually is. So all these individuals are taking care of sick people in terms of what's going on versus worrying about how to do things more cost effective, how to do you know, X, Y, and Z that you would normally do within your business if you were a manufacturer. You know, A manufacturer would never look at it and say, oh my gosh, I've got 10 cents per unit that I could get out and then just walk away and never do it. A manufacturer would be on that like crazy. Unfortunately, healthcare doesn't always have that ability, so it needs partners like ourselves and others to come alongside them and say, we have ways to help you chip away at this. Let us get engaged and help the overall community by making you a better steward of the assets that you're managing by allowing us to help manage some other things that aren't as cost-effective for you. Well, as I figured it would be, Terry Rowinski, this was a very <laughs> enlightening conversation. I know I am a little bit further in my professional development based on a lot of these good insights that you shared. I know our listeners are as well. 
Thanks, brother. All right. Absolutely. That was fun. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Known with Paul M. Newberger. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out at stargroup.com. That's S-T-A-R-R-Group.com slash podcast. We're also available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.